we were bringing the, we were coming back from Yellowstone and coming, you know, that highway that comes up through southern Idaho and up to Oregon. And there's some long stretches of there. And I remember one time, our van with a travel trailer behind and a bunch of little kids. And um, I remember passing this sign that said, last service for 39 miles, right? <laughs> she remembers this. And so I thought, yeah, I can do this because there's also a streak in me that likes a challenge, right? You know, although my mental toughness has nothing to do with how fast the gas tank will actually drain. But I thought, yeah, 39, I can do that, you know? And um, we went and we went and we went and we got down to about, there wasn't maybe, I was still 10 miles from the exit with the next gas station and the needle's already pegged. And this was in an older vehicle before that had the warning lights that would come on. So, you know, it was kind of at this point, it's like, who knows? And now I'm thinking, okay, I have a wife and three little children. This was so irresponsible of me. It's 1,000 degrees outside. There's rattlesnakes 10 feet off the fog line. I'm, I'm going to kill my family. What did I, how did I get here from there? And, and so help me. The van started sputtering. And we're on this long uphill, and I can see the next exit. The, the, I can see it now. It's maybe two miles away. Sputter, 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 sputter. And we get there, we get there closer, and I'm saying, uh, it's dead silent in the car. My wife is being so restrained. She wants to pull my lungs out, you know. And uh, just, you know, long hill. And just as we crest the hill at the very beginning of this ramp, the ramp is a half mile long, the van goes dead silent. I got a travel trailer behind me, I mean, but enough, you know, kinetic energy. We crest the hill, probably going five miles an hour off the freeway. Now we're going like this, come on, come on, we're pumping. <laughs> and now we're coasting. There's no power, there's no power steering, there's no power brakes. It's down to me and my muscles. And, and so we come down, and I can see the gas station. It's dead silent in the car, but, but it's downhill. And uh, fortunately, it was a small town. And so there was no traffic coming, so I didn't stop for the stop sign. I just kept going. And now it's uphill a little ways, so help me. We ran out of momentum just at the pump. So I was able to say, see, I had this under control the whole time. (laughs) And and, and (laughs) So it seems like most couples have a, a spender and a saver. You know, okay, I'm the spender. So when she's silent, she's in agreement. So I'm this, and she's a saver. Some of you, you order your pizza, and you want this big, gooey, dough ball, fluffy thing, and you need correction about that. But then the others of us who know and have, to the glory of God, we order thin crust pizza because it's the way God intended pizza to be, right? I mean, every couple. Opposites attract when we're dating, and there's good news. That works. That works, because if you're both the same, one of you isn't needed. You're, you're, one of you is already redundant. So, you know, God, very many times, he'll bring, <laughs> he'll bring opposite people together. And I think that, in part, is the Lord's plan, because he's using that difference to shape and to hone and to build something that's, that's good. He often will do that. The challenge is so often that happens in marriage is that we end up in these conflicts, where things are different and we disagree. It starts out as something small. It's a little bit bigger. It turns into a little bit of mistrust, maybe even a lie and some deceit, and pretty soon there's this unforgiveness and bitterness that could show up. You know, There's a modern translation, and I'm really bad at this, but you know, fear leads to anger. Anger leads to, you know, 
No Star Wars fans here, or that was really bad. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to um, hate. Hate leads to... Come on, where are the Star Wars fans in here? Nobody? Okay. This is not out of the Word of God. Let's just forget that whole thing. And before long, you have two people who live under the same roof, but they can actually end up living two completely separate lives. And we wonder, how do we go from being in love, where every song that comes on the radio makes the birds chirp, and we buy silly stuffed turtles and give them away, and you know we do these things, and then somehow we end up in divorce court. It can happen really quickly. And God does not want that to happen. And it doesn't have to happen that way. And that's why, um, you know, I mean, uh, that's partly the reason why we've been on this series for, for the last five times on this topic. Um, because I really believe that if we choose to make and keep these five commitments, that we can failure-proof our marriages. Failure-proof. So we talked the first time about seeking God. We're going to seek the one with our two and um, we're going to pray with our spouse. We talked about learning how to fight fair, which is to fight for resolution or restoration, not to fight to win. We talked about having fun. There are three types of having fun, and I won't re-preach that whole thing, but there's face-to-face, side-to-side, and tummy-to-tummy, and you can figure that out, and there's a whole sermon on that. Um, We talked about staying pure because that helps us stay out of trouble, and today I want to talk to you about never giving up. Everybody, would you say those with me? Let's, let's say, we're going to seek God, fight fair, have fun, stay pure, and never give up. So today, I'm going to talk to you about never giving up in your marriage. And I will tell you in advance, as, as, as best as I can, but I'm going to bring the heat today. I'm going to bring some passion, because I feel real strongly about this. I really, really believe that. And Now, I want to also say this. I'm not talking about you staying in an abusive marriage where you're somebody's punching bag. I'm not talking about that. I believe if that's what's going on, I think that it's healthy for a couple to separate for a season and get some counseling and get those issues resolved and then work on their marriage. I am saying, though, that we just don't give up. And I'm going to teach that today with a little bit of passion. I'm going to put a little mustard on that if that's okay with you. I mean... um, and I want to also say to people in this room who have had a marriage that's ended and it's divorced, I'm not here to cause you to feel guilt. That's not the point here either. Most, most people who have had that experience in their, in their rearview mirror, they, they carry enough guilt about that, too much guilt about that. And I, I know that you did everything you could do. And, you know, trying to keep that marriage going and somehow it didn't work and... Um, it ended, and in, in, in that time, you were brokenhearted. Maybe you still are today, maybe even devastated. Others of us might look back and say, you know, yeah, that all happened. And when I'm honest with myself, I had a lot to do with that. And um, you carry that weight. Today, I want to look at all of that, and I want to just put that into the past. And I want us to go back to that same theme we've been talking about. From this day forward... No matter what's happened in the past, no, no matter what, has, what the baggage is from this day forward, I'm just going to choose to never give up. Just going to choose that, never give up, because we serve a God with whom all things are possible with our God. So um, never give up today. That's where we're going to go. I want to start in Matthew 19. So here's the setting. We got um, the Pharisees are trying once again to trip Jesus up 
And they're, so they're going to ask him a trip, trick question. They figure they've got a way here that's going to cause him some problems. So starting in verse 3, some Pharisees came to Jesus to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now, unfortunately, in their culture, um, and this is a little bit hard for us to imagine in our culture because things are so different today, women were seen kind of like property. They were kind of like property. They, you know, you, I don't mean that to belittle women. I just, that's kind of what the culture was. And so if a guy, you know, was, he, he wanted to, he could just say, you know, I don't want you anymore, and I divorced you. And so that was very, very common. So the Pharisees are now trying to trap Jesus. And the deal is this. They're trying to trap him in this place where we always try to get, where the Lord, where, we tr- where the enemy of our soul tries to trap us. And they're trying to trap him between the word of God and popular culture. They're trying to trap him between scripture and the preferences, the current preferences of mankind. So they've got him in this squeeze and they're thinking, you know, what is he going to say here? Because he's either going to stray away from the heart of God or he's going to make these people mad at him. So we got him. He's got no way to, to solve this. So what Jesus answers here shocks them. He shocks them. He doesn't just raise the bar a little bit, or he doesn't even just raise it a whole lot. He changes the paradigm. He changes their understanding of what culture is, was, was saying to them. So he says, okay, verse four. Haven't you read, he replied, and now he's going to quote from Genesis, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Now, what he's not saying there is that you become one flesh, and so you no longer have your own personality. You no longer have your own gifts. You no longer have... He's not saying you don't have your own identity anymore. That is not what's going on there. He's saying that in God's eyes, you're no longer just man and a woman. You are something new and different. You're one. So we're going to try and get a grip on that today. It'd be kind of like taking two pieces of paper and you ever played with super glue, you know, stick, stick some little bit of super glue in it, put those two pieces of paper on there and you wait your 30 seconds or whatever. Try and, re, try and get them back apart to the way they were before. That stuff doesn't. I mean, pieces will tear off and they go with the wrong piece. So part of the original, they're just, it's just an, maybe a better way. I was talking to Lisa about this picture because there've been a couple of times where she's made her own paper. Any of you ladies, you can do the crafty. She's, she's the creative one. And um, so she makes her own paper, and you take this fiber and these different things. I don't know what she puts in there. She put it in a blender. Yeah. She puts it in the blender and then takes it out of there and does her thing with it. But the point was that, that by the time that thing has gone through the blender, it's this soupy liquid. There is no way that that will ever become the original pieces of paper that went into that blender. There's just no way impossible. I mean, God could maybe do it. He, I, I know he could, but it's just, and, 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 and so if you make your paper then and try to pull it back, that's why divorce hurts so much. There's just no way. If something has to rip and tear to someplace new that it didn't belong to go. And, and um, you know, that's why it tears at our hearts so much. If you went through a divorce, you know about that. And those of you who've been divorced probably can remember or feel that pain now. Or if you are the parents of someone divorced or you're, you're the friend of someone, you know that pain. 
And so we head off to the divorce courts, and um, the terminology there, the legal terminology, gets real interesting. It's, it's called a dissolution. Dissolution, which is the, the legal way of saying we're going to take this union and dissolve it, and then we're going to liquefy their assets. I'm not a lawyer. I don't pretend to be. But that's the terminology for what happens in divorce court, a dissolution where you liquefy and disperse the assets. It doesn't work so well on a human being when you liquefy them. But that's kind of what happens. It really is. And, 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 and dispersing the assets of that union. And it just gets painful. You just can't separate what God joins together. Marriage was invented and engineered by God. What God has joined together, no one can undo. And the problem in our culture is that generally people don't understand what, what marriage actually is. They think that marriage is an agreement, that it's a, that it's a contract. But in reality, marriage is a covenant. It's not a contract. What's a contract? A contract is an agreement based upon mutual distrust. It's what it is. You, know, you buy a car, you sign a contract because the bank doesn't trust for sure that you're going to pay off. And if you don't, they're going to take back the car. Mutual distrust. Might be a small amount, but there's, it's, it's, a covenant is instead based upon mutual commitment. It's a huge difference. What's a contract do? Well, a contract actually limits my responsibilities and increases my rights. Limits my responsibilities and increases my rights. It basically says, you know, if we're in a contract with one another, I'm in as far as you're in. You get that? So I'm going to be in only as far as you're in. I'll nudge a little bit, see you nudge a little bit, and it's going to be dependent on all that. For example, when we first got married, we you know, signed our first rental contract for an apartment. And um, you know, that was new, new territory for us, signing a contract. Pretty wild thing. And uh, I understand why they wanted me to sign a contract to, you know, they didn't know us. And um, I don't trust them. They don't trust me. And I'm in. And, and as far as they're in, and the contract basically said, if you don't do what you're supposed to do, then we'll have action here. We'll do something about that. And it protects you from me and protects me from you. In other words, I trust you as far as you'll perform. If you don't live up to my expectations, I'm out. And that's what a lot of people do with marriage. Hey, as long as you make me happy, as long as you meet my needs, as long as no one better comes along, then we'll stick with this. But if you don't live up to your end of this deal, then I'm out of here. But marriage is not a contract, it's a covenant. What's a covenant? It's a permanent relationship. God, the inventor of marriage, is a covenantal God. The Old Testament and the New Testament, that translation is unfortunate. It should be the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And uh, our God makes relationships that are permanent. They're permanent. The, um, the Hebrew word that gets translated the, in the Old Testament for covenant is barith, and it literally it literally translates as a cutting. And what it means is there was this this uh, ceremony where you would enter into this covenant agreement with someone, and you literally would take a bull and cut it in half, an icky mess, 
and put space between it. And the two parties to the covenant would walk like a figure eight around one side and through the center and around the center and around the center. And pretty soon, they were both covered in the residue. They were both together in this mess. Not that marriage is a mess. (laughs) But they were both in this. And then they would say, if I don't keep my part of this bargain, may the same thing happen to me that happened to this bull. This cutting. So they would walk through that seven times and they would create this covenant. It's that when you hear the phrase, cut a deal, okay? Interesting, different picture when you know that. There, 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 it was a very common way, too, for in the Old Testament time for a couple to get married was that they would stand before a representative of God and the, the, the leader, the priest, or whatever, he would take the groom's hand and a knife and cut it until blood came out. And then he would do the same thing with the bride, which, man, if I tried doing that at a wedding today, can you imagine that? I bet I would have a groom and a groom's father all over me. And he would, so, so they would both be bleeding, and they would put their hands together, commingling that blood. The word says that the life is in the blood. And then the priest would actually take a cord and wrap it around the hands, holding it together. Make, and they would become, this, this was symbolic of them becoming one flesh. What God has joined together, do not let man separate the two become one flesh. Now, I'm a big believer that if you have the opportunity to, when you're getting married, um, to stand before a representative of God and to, 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 to make your covenant and answer to God for your covenant, just kind of like I did and so many of you. You know, Terry, do you take Lisa to be your you know, lawfully, you're to have and to hold from this day forward, and better or for worse, sickness and poorer, richness and forsaking all others, keeping yourself only under her so long as you both shall live. I do. Keeping yourself to her so long as she makes you happy. Keeping yourself only under her so long as she fulfills her part. Keeping, I didn't say yes to those things. Keeping her to your, keeping yourself for her as long as nobody better comes along. No, as long as you both shall live. And there's no end date. On a contract, there's an end date. You know, you rent a house for a year and you just, you're done. Your obligations are over. And now, by the way, I'm not saying that if you got married in front of a justice of the peace, you're not married. I'm not suggesting that at all. I'm suggesting it's a covenant between you, your spouse, and the Lord. And if that wasn't on your heart when you got married, find yourself someone that you trust that is relationship with God or come to me or somebody and say, we want to renew our vows. We want this to be a covenant. We want to make clearly, and God will bless that. But that's a rabbit trail. I don't want to go down that too far today. So on a contract, there's an end date. And, um, but in a covenant, it's until death do us part. And that's why we never give up. We never give up. What happens, though, is the question, when my marriage becomes really painful or difficult. You know, um, there's a story about Billy Graham. You know, Billy Graham is, may be one of the greatest evangelists of all time. And, and so he would go out on these crusades, and there would be times that he would be gone for six months at a time. So his wife, Ruth, is home raising the kids. 
How's that sound, ladies? I mean, some of you go, yeah, that's great. No, most, most, most mothers slash wives would say, you know, I think he needs to be around a little bit more than once every six months. Um, and so what, there's this, this interview, this reporter talks to Ruth Graham and says, you know, when all these things were going on and it was really hard for you, you're alone, you're raising your kids. And come on, kids are kids. They're, Billy Graham's kids are kids too, right? They're, they're doing kids stuff. And um, so the reporter says, you know, when this is all going on, it was difficult. Did you ever think about divorcing Billy Graham? She says, no, no, I never thought about divorcing him. I did think about killing him, but not divorcing him. (laughs) So when we make a covenant with God, we want to keep that covenant. Now, some of you might be thinking, you know, but, you know, I'm just not happy. I just don't trust him. I don't love her anymore. I don't love him anymore. You know, to get divorced because you don't feel love anymore because you've run out of love is kind of like, Abandoning your car because you've run out of gas. Getting divorced because things aren't going well is kind of like just abandoning your your pickup truck because it needs a tune-up. So what you need to do is you need to refill your love. Now, there could be times when you think to yourself, I just don't have any more love. I don't have any more forgiveness. I don't have any more grace. I've just done everything that I can do. That's when seeking God really pays off. The seeking God we've been talking about. Because when you don't have the love, any love, the God of love steps in. God, it, love, by the way, isn't something that God does. It's who he is. It's the fabric of which he comes. And God will forgive through you when you don't have the ability to forgive him. God will love through you when you don't have the ability to love anymore. The crazy thing for us Christians especially is, is this. You can't say, I love God, but I hate my husband. You can't say that. Scripture gets all over that in First John. It says, you cannot say you love God, but hate your brother. Pretty, pretty cut and dried. And as hard as it gets, and I, I know, I know it gets really hard. If you truly love God, then you seek after God and God will do through you when you don't have the strength to do it yourself, love. So what about when you're trying, when you're seeking God and you're hoping to love, but you're just not making any forward traction because that happens. It really does. I just want to encourage you to remember um, some principles that we're going to spend a couple minutes on, the principles of sowing and reaping. And... Um, because, and by the way, if you're not married yet, this is a terrific foundation for you to be thinking about for your future. So I'm going to look at Galatians 6, starting in verse 7. Here's, here's the word of God. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. That's one reason why we try to stay pure, because you know, we're not sowing into our sinful nature. The one, um, the one who sows to please the Spirit, that's seeking God, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Verse 9. For some of you, this verse, you just got to hang on to this. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest. If we do not give up, if we do not give up, we will reap a harvest. If we do not give up. So I'm going to give you two principles of sowing and reaping in your marriage. We might get a third. I'm not quite sure about that. But okay, first principle is you reap what you sow. Say that aloud with me. You reap what you sow. So if I stick an apple seed in the ground, what are my chances of getting an orange tree out of that? 
pretty much zero, right? I mean, it's, I, don't, it's, I don't mean to be condescending. I'm not. I'm just saying, if you put an apple seed in the ground, you're not going to get an orange tree. You're going to get an apple tree. <laughs> you're not. You're not. And if somebody, if somebody smiles at you, you're likely to get a smile back, right? You are. You are. If, it, it's, just, it's just human nature. If somebody flips you off, because you're a Christian, you're going to pray for them and smile back, right? But that's the exception to the rule. Everybody is planting something. You're planting things in people around you all the time when you smile, when you don't smile, the comments you make. You know, you go through the drive through line at um, the coffee shop, and um, I was really frustrated the other day because I was going through the drive through line at the coffee shop, and... You know, we're used to saying, I've given my order, read my mind, have it ready when I get there. So there's three cars in front of me, and we wait, and we wait, and we wait, and we wait. And then you see him shoving out, you know, these trays full of drinks to the guy up in front. And I'm thinking, you know, why did you get in the car? And, and, and I'm losing my patience. And when I get to the line, now, th- by the way, that's not what you should do or be. That's not an example for you to follow. It's just transparency. <clears throat> When I get up there, the, 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 the guy in the window says, hey, sorry about the wait, and I know he was expecting a blowtorch or something. And I thought about this. <coughs> Excuse me. I thought about this because I thought, it's not his fault. I waited. Somebody else was insensitive. So what am I going to give this guy? I gave him a smile. That time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I got a smile back. That's what he needed at that moment. He didn't need something else from me. He's going to get that from the other cars in the line. He's not getting it from me. Have you ever thought through the times when you can purposely decide, I know what, I'm going to be a part of what's good in this person's life instead of another person putting on more weight, even if they deserve it. Anyway, you, you reap what you sow. The time will come when you could use some of that and you don't deserve it, but you get it because you've planted it somewhere. I like to say this, things like this to couples when we stand at an altar and I marry them. I say, your tongue is, you're going to plant things in the next few days, in the next few weeks that are going to grow up and bloom and produce fruit in 15 years. What kind of fruit do you want to be eating in 15 years? You're planting the seeds for it today. You reap what you sow. Plant seeds of hope. Everybody's doing that. Um, guys, I want to say one other thing, and I don't mean to be sexist about this, but, uh, but catch this. Women are multipliers. They are. There's a, there's a multiplication that, that's just part of their nature. You know, you get into a relationship, you get married, and so you move in somewhere, and just, you decide that, that she's moving into your bachelor pad. Or maybe you're not married yet, and she comes visiting to your bachelor pad. What does she do? She changes everything. All of a sudden, things are order, or, 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 organized and clean. They're in a place, and it starts to smell good. It's a new thing. They multiply. They do. They multiply. You, 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 she comes by, and you, know, you're, you're, you have some groceries, and you're going to make yourself a nice spam dinner. And she says, get out of the way. And she steps in, and pretty soon there's this, you have no idea where this came from, but how, you would never have eaten like that because women are multipliers. You give them some flowers. You give them some affection, some communication, some tenderness. You give them 
your heart, you married guys, you know, you give them some romance and you're going to get some tummy to tummy. And if you were here a couple of times ago, you know what I'm talking about. You give them your physical love and they're going to give you children. They multiply. They do. You give them a hard time and you're going to get the briar patch. I'm just telling you. They're multipliers. There's, um, there was this musical, um, this Broadway musical back in the, in the 60s, and it was called 1776, and it was a lot of the founding fathers, and <clears throat> I think it's the wife of Thomas Jefferson has got this song, and she sings this song, and in that song are the lyrics, happy wife, happy life. Now, maybe you've heard that phrase before because there's a comedian now who, who makes a routine out of that. But it's a, good, it's a good point. If you want to have a happy life, make your wife happy. It's something scriptural, by the way. You reap what you sow. The bottom line, guys and ladies, is if you don't like what you're getting, you should take a good look at what you've been giving. And instead of pointing your finger and saying that, take a look at what you've been giving because you reap what you sow. The second point is you reap where you sow. Would you all repeat that with me? You reap where you sow. So if I plant a seed over here, am I going to get a tree over here? Pretty obviously. No, I'm not. If I plant all of my energy, all of my effort, all of my passion into my hobby, it's not going to make my marriage get any better. You know, I might be better at golf, fat chance. I might be better at hunting or knitting or, you know, gardening or something, but none of that's going to make my marriage better. If I put all of my energy into my kids and we become child-centered parents, is that going to help my marriage? It's, it's not. If I put all of my energy and my effort into my career, is that going to help my marriage? No, it's not. And... in the group this size, some of us are there right now. There are some of us that are putting all of that effort into something other than our number two. God is our number one. Our spouse is our number two. And we have put other things higher up the priority than our spouse. And we wonder, why aren't things going great in our marriage? It's because maybe we haven't been seeking God together. Maybe we haven't been fighting fair. Maybe we haven't been having fun. Maybe we haven't been staying pure. And, and, and now we feel like giving up. And if anything else moves into that number two slot in our relationship, our marriage isn't going to be what God wants for it to be. That's why Lisa and I decided very, very early on something about our marriage. And for some of you, this one little statement may be all that you need out of these whole five weeks to help you. And so I'm going to say, tell you this is a simple, simple fact that goes for us way back in our marriage we decided a long time ago that our marriage will be as good as we decide. Our marriage is going to be as good as we decide. If you're taking notes, circle the word decide. Because don't think for a minute just because we're pastors that we don't have troubles. <laughs> don't think that. We got the same problems that everybody else has. We have the same kind of challenges. We live in a sin-filled world. We are sinners. We make mistakes. We do things we ought not. Don't think for a minute we don't have problems in our marriage. And, and, but we decided a long time ago that we were going to seek God together. We decided a long time ago that we would fight fair, fight for 
resolution not to win. We decided a long time ago that we were going to have fun and just try to stay out of trouble. We would try to stay pure. And we decided a long time ago that we're just not going to give up. And the key is that it takes both of us to get there from here. And I know some of you are saying, well, I'm trying, and he's not, or she's not. And I acknowledge that it takes two people. I really believe that some of us right this moment need to let God speak to us right this moment. And he's saying, you're one. Because you're thinking of giving up, and God is saying, hold it, hold it, slow down here. You are one. Don't split up what God put together. And since you might as well decide then what kind of marriage you're going to have, you might as well decide that it's not going to be a bad one, it's going to be a good one. And I believe it can be as good as you decide. Now, I've been sharing every, you know, every week as we've talked about this. I've, you've heard a lot from me, but I've also had the pleasure of having my wife share something too, so I have some things that Lisa shared. I think you have to use the, there we go. I mean, we've talked about investing into our marriage and planting seeds. What are some of the ways that we've poured into the future of our marriage? Well, first of all, we're totally committed to each other. We plant seeds, and by that, uh, you plant good, good things in each other, and those things will grow, and um, we, we will neglect the whole world for each other. Um, nobody is more important to me than you, and I think you feel the same way about me. I do. <laughs> um, we're human. There are a lot of challenges in day-to-day life, but at some point you have to say stop. Let's get, get back together to be one together and um, be able to move forward in that direction. Honey, we try to keep our marriage at the right place in our priorities because when we don't, our marriage suffers. And, you know, we've, we know people, we encounter marriages where people get their priorities mixed up and, um, and their marriage suffers for it. What kind of advice would you give to couples who are struggling trying to get the correct priorities in their, in their marriage? Well, I understand. It's not easy. There are a lot of challenges on us. And um, we need to set aside our own preferences and choices and humble ourselves. Um, and pour in a lot of grace and a lot of mercy. If we pray for our spouse, uh, it will change hearts. It will change what you're praying about. Uh, maybe it's you. Maybe it's me. But... With all things, um, with with God, all things are possible, and it's worth fighting for. She's right; it is worth fighting for. Pardon me for the bumps in the sound while that was going on. Um, I am so grateful that you would be willing to do those videos with me, honey. Thank you for doing that, and you did a great job. You're so wise and beautiful. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Now, <clears throat> as we're closing, as we get to this close now, I just want to just kind of get boiled down to right where we live on a lot of topics. Um, you know, I think people could be saying, okay, Terry, I've heard what you've had to say, and um, I understand all that stuff, but pretty soon it sounds like blah, blah, wah, 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 right? Because I just don't feel it. I don't feel like being nice. I don't feel like forgiving. I don't feel like showing grace. I don't feel like praying anymore. I don't feel like working on it anymore. I don't feel like staying married. I just don't feel like it. And I don't think I'm going to. So I want to ask a really direct question. What other significant area of your life 
Do you have the liberty just to stop because you just don't feel like it anymore? Well, I, I don't feel like working for the next 12 months, so I think I'll just not work. The Word of God says if a man doesn't work, he will not eat. Okay, I'll give up eating for a year. Try that. See how that works. It just doesn't. Or I just don't feel like taking care of my kids anymore. I just don't think I'll do that anymore. You know, or I'm tired of a crying baby. I just don't think I'll take care of my baby. It just, it just doesn't work. What do you do? You overcome those feelings and you parent your child. You take care of your child. Or, you know, well, I just don't feel like paying taxes anymore. I think I'll just stop paying my taxes. You could try that. Let me know how that works out for you if you find out of something that works there. <laughs> you know, what do you do is you get over your feelings and you do the right thing. That's what you do. You get over your feelings and by the power of God, you do what's right. When I say, you know, we're never giving up, what I'm not saying is that you clench your teeth and endure the worst marriage this side of hell. I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'm just saying, don't, we're not going to ever give up. We're not going to ever give up on seeing the Lord lead us to the kind of marriage and the kind of blessing that he always wanted and hoped for us. Therefore, we're never going to stop seeking God. We're never going to stop fighting fair. We're never going to stop those things that will lead us to that. Now, we're never going to give up because Scripture says, we read that, don't grow weary in doing good for at the proper time. Could it be that it's just not the proper time yet? God's timing is not always our timing. You know, at the proper time, you will reap a harvest. We talked about the, 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 the spiritual laws of reaping and sowing. We, we reap what we sow. We reap where we sow. There's a when question that I haven't taken time with. But since we're talking about farming, you ever, have you ever you know, seen or heard of a corn farmer? He plants the seeds and he immediately goes back and starts harvesting the field. No. There's a time there you have to wait. And we don't like to do that. And there's a time in there where you have to sometimes pull weeds out, where you have to nurture, you have to watch over, and you wait patiently with faith knowing what's going to be produced. Could be that you just haven't got to the proper time. Don't get weary. And what will your harvest be like? I don't know what your harvest will be like. I really believe, though, that if you seek God and if you, if you take those commitments seriously and you stay after them as best you can, that you're going to find that the Lord is leading into you into something promising in your marriage. That something that, you know, th as you remember, this is not a contract. This is a covenant. And it's a covenant before our holy God. You could end up with a testimony that you don't that you can't even see. I mean, someday you might be thinking, wow, you cannot believe where my marriage was compared to today. She's my best friend in the world. Things are so good. You wouldn't believe how bad I was. You wouldn't believe how unfaithful I was. You wouldn't believe how neglectful I was. And now my kids look at our marriage and they say, wow, God is honoring them because they hold to their commitment. Their word before God means something. Your kids would, you could be planting a spiritual legacy for your children. If you seek God, if you fight fair, if you have fun, 
if you stay pure and as if, if you never give up. Do not be weary for doing good, for at the proper time you will reap, reap a harvest if you do not give up. And so we don't give up because we didn't make an agreement. We don't give up because we have a covenant. Let's pray. Father, today I want to thank you that your spirit is going to speak life to people, is going to speak hope to people. And, and Lord, for those that are just hurting and brokenhearted, I want to thank you, Lord, that, um, that you know their todays, you know our tomorrows, that the discouragement that maybe is represented here and the, there just doesn't seem to be much horsepower left, Lord. There just doesn't seem to be much gas left in the tank. God, I pray for you to sweep into circumstances where there is just not enough left to, 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 to continue, that, Lord, you would step in with, with the power. Your word promises that with you all things are possible. Lord, we know that it's your will that our relationships would, be, would, would grow and would blossom, not wither and die. Lord, would you step in where, our, where we're weak? Your word tells us that where we are weak, you are made strong. So, Lord, we ask now for your strength to step into our marriages. God, I think about the things that have been said and considered in this room over the last the, the five weeks of this series, and I ask God for marriages to be transformed here, present and future marriages. Lord, I pray that there would be something of character that would build up within us, something that would be a legacy to our children and to every friend and person in our life. I pray, Lord, that at work, we would be an example of your love because we are committed in our marriages. I pray, Lord, that, that our friends would see something of your hand upon our lives because we are committed in our marriages. And Lord, for the health that you planned to spawn through those relationships, Lord, let it be, let it be. All of these things, Lord, I pray for in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.